You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. All right, we're going to switch microphones this morning because one decided to just not work. And that's always fun, huh? Technical difficulties, as they say. The devils are in, the devil's in the details. Well, we rebuke that devil in the name of Jesus, right? Okay. Um, hey, happy new year, church family, again. Um, can you believe it that we are already a week into 2022? That's crazy to me. It's crazy. Um, let me ask you a question. How are you feeling about 2022 so far? Okay, all right. How about this? How about we take a, um, a non-judgmental poll, okay? Let's take a non-judgmental poll. How many of you are feeling um, maybe a little pessimistic, a little negative about 2022? Okay, judgment-free zone. That's all right. Okay, how about how many of you are feeling kind of Meh, indifferent, apathetic about 20, okay, all right, that's fair. Um, how many of you are feeling optimistic and confident about 2022? Yes, awesome, yeah. Uh, well, I'm feeling pretty confident about the new year. Um, I think this past week of prayer and fasting that our church family went through, our, our fresh start fast, I think that was definitely helpful. Um, I know it was helpful for many of you just in, in the testimonies that you shared and what God is doing in your life. It was helpful for me. Um, God definitely um, solidified the vision for our church that I believe he's, he's calling us into, and we talked about it last Sunday. Um, he also solidified just some personal vision for my, my own life. Um, one of those words is, is roll with it. Does God ever talk to you in just phrases and weird somewhat? Well, roll with it. Um, just this past new year, I've had so many different things happen in our family, in our life. Not necessarily bad for us, but just a car breaking down, microphones not working, things happening. And God is saying, this is going to be a year of roll with it. Right? You can lose your cool, you can go crazy about it, or you can just roll with it and trust them. That's what God showed me um, in, in, in our Fresh Start Fast. Um, but let's talk about the vision again one more time. If you missed the vision for 2022, the, the message that we talked about last week, make sure you go back online to our website um, or go to the whatever podcast provider you have um, and listen to that message um, so that you know where we're going for this new year. Um, but I'll do a quick recap um, of what we talked about, okay? We talked about how growth and spiritual parentage or discipleship are goals for this year. Okay, we want to invite more people to experience being a part of a healthy church family. And I believe that we're, for the most part, healthy. Every family has its problems, right? Um, but for the most part, we're healthy. And we want people to experience that. And we want to end the cycle of spiritual orphans that the capital C church as a whole is experiencing. And, and, and part of my confidence for 2022 comes from many of you saying yes and amen to those goals. 
Many of you, I mean, I see new people already um, this week. Many of you are, are saying, yes, we're going to invite people. Many of you are saying that I want to learn and be trained how to disciple people. I want to be discipled. And so I am super excited about that. That's exciting. And then the, the third thing we talked about last week was our theme for the year, which is reconstruct. Reconstruct. Um, there is a deconstruction movement happening not just in the church, um, but in the whole world. Uh, so much in the world and culture and society is being deconstructed as we speak. Think about it. Our, our thoughts on race and gender and government and societal structures, it's all being torn apart right now. Um, and so this deconstruction is happening as we speak. And, and many in the church, they're responding to that by deconstructing their own faith. Questioning what they believe and why they believe it. And listen, church family, deconstruction is not bad. Because, because of what's going on in the world right now, and over the past few years, we're all being faced with deconstruction and evaluating why we believe um, what we believe. And that's never a bad thing. But deconstruction without reconstruction is just destruction. It's just destruction. And so for 2022, we want to focus on reconstructing. Um, I believe God is leading us as a church family, um, but also the, the big church in an Ezra and Nehemiah season of rebuilding. God is bringing us back to Jerusalem, so to speak, to reconstruct and rebuild what the powers of the world have been trying to deconstruct and dismantle in our faith over the past couple of years. And as a, as a church, God is calling us to reconstruct our faith, our lives, according to his words and ways, rather than the words and ways of the world. And if, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, th those were the scriptures that I focused on during our Fresh Start Fast this past week. But when you read it, what you learn from those books is that if you work to reconstruct according to God's ways and words, then you will encounter opposition from the world. You will. Leaders from the dominating Persian kingdom, they came to Ezra and Nehemiah and they demanded them, sometimes even with violent force, to stop reconstructing. Right? They saw their reconstruction of Jerusalem, the, the temple and the walls as this rebellion against the Persian king, right? the, the world power of that time. But this didn't stop Israel from reconstructing. They, they eventually finished the temple, the wall, they reconstructed their faith, and they continued to rebuild the city as a whole. Okay, listen, what motivated God's people to keep going and to not shrink back in fear? One word, confidence. Say that word with me. Confidence. Confidence. What were they confident in? They were confident in God's words. And God's promises that if they reconstructed according to his ways, then he would bless and protect them. Their confidence motivated and helped them to reconstruct even when faced with the pressures of the world. And so for us in 2022, if we want to reconstruct and strengthen our faith well, then we need confidence. Confidence in who God is and what he's done for us. 
confidence in his words and promises. Right? Because the world is going to come against us. They haven't let up yet. Right? The powers and principalities of culture and society are going to try and stop us from reconstructing according to God's ways and words and to reconstruct according to theirs. And if we want to stay the course and reconstruct well, then we need confidence. And church family, I love God's timing so much because that's exactly what the author of Hebrews focuses on in our passage for today. Okay, we are continuing our better series. We're not done with Hebrews yet, church family. Amen? Um, and Hebrews, it has the encouragement we need to start out the new year. And so the title of today's message is, Where is your confidence? Where's your confidence? Can you pray with me? Let's just continue to welcome God in this place. God, we just submit our hearts and our minds to you right now in this moment. God, we believe that you have exactly what we need. Not just for this moment, for the entire year, for the, our entire lives. And God, I'm believing that today will be a starting point for many in this room. Today will we'll lead to a path where they will be encouraged to never look back again, but to keep going. And so, God, we pray that you would give us the confidence to do that. And we thank you that you have. Would you help us to see it this morning? We love you. We say these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so go ahead. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Here at CCA, we love honoring the word of God. And one way that we do that is by not just waiting for the scriptures to pop up on the screen, but actually opening your Bible, whether physical or digital. You can pull out your phone here at CC. That's totally fine. Um, but let's do the work of going to that scripture. Um, and let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now, as you're turning there, uh, we ended last year going over Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Um, and that passage was mostly review of things the author had already talked about. Um, but the point of that passage was to say, listen, you can't outdo Jesus. You can't outdo Jesus. Hey, Jesus has already done everything necessary for us to be saved from Satan's sin and death. He's done it all. Jesus has already done everything necessary for us to have unrestricted access to right relationship with God. Jesus has already done everything required for our sins, past, present, and future, to be forgiven, forgotten, and put away once and for all. And because of this glorious truth, there is nothing more we need to do or that we can do that is better than what Jesus has already done and finally done for us. Right? You can't outdo Jesus. And so stop trying, right? Stop trying to bring offerings and sacrifices for your sins to Jesus. He says, the altar is closed. I've already paid it all. It's done, right? Trust Jesus and his work for you. And today, we're going to finish chapter 10. We're going to cover 20 verses today. Whoa. All right, verses 19 through 39. And this passage is really a turning point for the entire letter. Um, because chapters 1 through chapter 10, all the way to verse 18, it's all been theology. 
Right? Everything the author has said up until now has been a theological argument for why Jesus and his new covenant are better and why the old way of doing things is done. Right? Because remember, uh, the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, this letter is addressed to, they were being tempted with uh, giving up their Christian faith to go back to practicing strict Levitical Jewish uh, practices. All right? Um, and in order to do that, many of them were being required to uh, deny Jesus, to give up their faith in Jesus altogether. And the author of Hebrews is writing to say, why would you go back to the old way when the new way in Jesus is infinitely better? Why would you give up better to go back to what was good, but it was also imperfect and incomplete and lacking? And the application for us today, especially as we pursue reconstructing our faith according to God's words and ways for 2022, right? Why would we shrink back or reconstruct according to the world's views when we have Jesus? And so everything from chapter 1 to chapter 10, verse 18, it's been this massive theological argument for why Jesus is better. And so the author, he shifts from argument to application, starting in chapter 10, verse 19, all right? Uh, the theology is good, it's sound, it's incredible, it's amazing, but what do we do with it? And that's what the rest of Hebrews is all about, all right? So let's start reading, shall we? Have you missed Hebrews? I have missed Hebrews, I'm excited to be back in this awesome letter, all right? So verse 19, let's do it. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, what's the word? Confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let's stop there for just a moment. The author is using these three verses to again reiterate and summarize basically what all of chapters 1 through 10 have been about so far. Right? Jesus, our great high priest, through his perfect blood and body sacrifice, has opened up a new way for us to have unrestricted guilt and shame-free access to right relationship with God the Father. And since the new way has opened up, the old way is closed and no longer necessary. All right, then... In verses 22 through 25, the author starts giving us the application. What we're going to see is that he gives us three let us statements that are actions for us to do in our lives as followers of Jesus. We'll get to those in just a moment. Okay, but listen. This right here is so important to notice before we move on to those let us statements. Because before he gives us the actions to do, listen. He first gives the confidence for us to do them. Listen, how many times in your life have you wanted to do something or you knew the action you were supposed to take, but you didn't have the confidence? We've all been there before, right? You wanted to do something, but you were plagued by questions, uncertainties, doubts, I want to ask that person out, but what if the feelings aren't reciprocal? We've been there before. 
I want to ask my boss to give me a raise so I'm being paid what I'm worth, but I don't want to risk losing my job. I want to invite that, that classmate or coworker or neighbor to church with me, um, but what if they reject me? I, I want to tell my spouse how I'm really feeling, but I don't want them to leave or abandon me. We can all think of moments in our lives where we wanted to do something or we knew the action we needed to take, but we didn't have the confidence. And in those moments of lacking confidence, what we wish we had was knowledge of the outcome, right? right? What we wish we had is if we knew what would happen, how people would react, and that we would get what we want in those moments, that might give us the confidence we want and need to follow through. And I think this reveals an important principle in life. And this principle right here, I believe, is going to be a game changer for many of you for 2022. Lean into this moment right here. It's going to come back later on in the message. But this is huge. And that is, you follow your confidence. Let it sink in for a moment. You follow your confidence. Where your confidence is, that's where you'll go. And if you are not confident in something, then you probably won't take the steps toward it. In fact, you'll move further away from it. Right? And if you want to do something or you know what you should do, but you don't have the confidence, it's unlikely that you'll do it. We see this in children all the time. When they don't have the confidence, where do they run to? Who they are confident in, their mom and dad, right? You follow your confidence. And so before the author of Hebrews goes into application and, and telling us what actions we should take as followers of Jesus, he gives us the confidence to do them. And not just in three verses, but he's spent nine and a half chapters up until this point talking about how Jesus is better and that he is our confidence. Verse 19, it says, therefore, right, therefore, because of everything I've said for nine and a half chapters, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, you don't need confidence, you have confidence, and Jesus is your confidence, or he should be. You follow your confidence. And so then the author shares three things. Remember that line, you follow your confidence. And then the author shares three things, three actionable items we should do because our confidence is in Jesus. All right, let's look at those. Verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The first actionable item is to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Now, I kind of talked about this during worship, but in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, um, only the high priest was able to enter the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle or in the temple uh, to draw near to the manifest presence of God. Only one person in all of Israel. And he only did this once a year, one time. And in order to draw near to God, he first had to go through some cleansing rituals. He had to, to make a sacrifice for his sins. And he would actually sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on himself. He would also, before that, he would cleanse his body, his whole body, from a special bowl for cleansing. 
And if anyone tried to draw near to God in the Holy of Holies without being cleansed and washed, they died. They just dropped dead. They, they were overwhelmed by the presence of God's perfect holiness and glory. Okay, but listen, under the new covenant in Jesus, anyone can draw near to God, and not just once a year, but at any time, in any place, because we have been covered by the perfect blood sacrifice of Jesus, and we've been washed with the pure waters of sanctification. We talked about sanctification in chapter 10, verse 14. God putting things in order, right? And we don't have to worry, praise God, or be afraid, praise God, of dying when we come into church because Jesus has taken care of us, right? Jesus' perfect and final work as our high priest is sufficient. Because of Jesus, we have a true heart and full assurance of our faith. And so what does it mean to draw near to God? It means to get to know him, not from a distance, but up close and personal in an intimate relationship with him. To draw near to him as a child would climb up on their father's lap. And we do that through reading his words about himself in scripture. We draw near to God in worship. We, we draw near to God through prayer. Real quick. One cool thing about this, this word confidence in verse 19, and it comes up again in, in verse 25, I believe, um, or 35, is that the Greek word for confidence there, it literally means all speechness. What? All speechness. Now that, that literal translation, it doesn't make sense in English, but a, a better translation of all speechness is, get this, free speech. Free speech. And so, so to have the confidence to draw near to God means that there is no restriction in what we can say to God. We are not limited in how or when we can communicate with him. Free speech. Have you seen in movies um, where a king is with one of his servants or, or one of his officials, and, and the official has something he wants to say to the king, but before he does it, he says, may I speak freely, my lord? Because he knows that if he speaks out of turn, what's going to happen? Off with his head, right? He could be cut down literally, right? Because they know that if they speak out of turn, it's not going to be good for them. Well, with our Lord, it's not like that, right? We are able to speak freely and in confidence with him whenever and wherever we want. And so if our confidence is in Jesus, then we should follow our confidence. We should confidently draw near to God because that's where Jesus is. Right? We should draw near to God in intimate relationship with him through scripture, in worship, in free speech prayer, because Jesus has cleansed us of that guilty, evil conscience. He's washed us with the waters of sanctific sanctification. Right? Our heart is true and we have full assurance of faith. Number one, draw near to God. The second actionable item the author shares because we have this confidence is in verse 23. Let's read it. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The second thing we should do because Jesus is our confidence is we should hold fast the confession. Hold fast the confession. Let me ask you this. How many confessions do you hold on to without question or doubt? 
Like when, when, for example, when someone confesses their love for you, do you 100% hold on to that, que- that confession without question or doubt? I think even in a really healthy marriage, there might be times when a spouse might think, does my spouse still love me? Uh, even in a relationship between uh, parents and a children, we might see this happen. I can remember times when I was a kid um, and I did something wrong that really upset my parents, like furious. Um, and I remember asking them, do you still love me, right? And they had to reassure me and say, of course we still love you. We're just really mad at you right now. Or my mom would say, um, I have to love you right now, but I don't have to like you right now. So that was her line. Um, or or what, about, what about your own confessions of belief in something, in whatever? How many of your beliefs have you held on to, held fast to your whole life, and how many of them have changed over time? And sometimes this is appropriate, right? When new, reliable science or evidence or information comes out that shows something in the world isn't quite what we thought it was, it's appropriate to adapt and let go of those old confessions and adopt the new. Right, or what we see happening with, with deconstruction in the world and in the church is people are no longer holding fast their confessions. Right, they're, they're abandoning them. And they're adopting new confessions, new beliefs. They see their old beliefs as outdated or incompatible with the ever-changing worldview. And as the world changes, their confessions change. Okay, but here, in verse 23... We're being challenged to hold fast the confession. What confession specifically? What's the confession that Jesus is king and that he's saved us? The confession that he has done everything necessary in order for us to to have unrestricted and access to right relationship with God. It's that confession that he's already done everything required for our sins, past, present, and future to be forgiven, forgotten, and put away once and for all. The the confession that Jesus' work on the cross means we have hope for eternal life and the final reconstruction of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, these confessions are really big confessions to make and to hold on to, especially in our world, true or false. True, I'll say it for you. Right? And it requires some really big confidence to make them. Wouldn't you agree? But I want to challenge you to think of this verse. We're going to shift the perspective just a little bit. Um, Is the author of Hebrews telling us to hold fast our confession without wavering? Is the author telling us to put our confidence in our confession? I'll be honest. And I know I'm a pastor, but I'm also just a person. I'll be honest, there are times when my confession wavers, where I struggle and where I even doubt. There are times when I don't feel super confident in my own confession. And so while I think the author is encouraging us to to hold fast our confession, I think another way to look at it is that he wants us to hold fast to Jesus' confession. It doesn't say our confession if you read it again. It says the confession. Because what we see more in the Gospels is not people confessing Jesus as king and savior of the world, but Jesus himself confessing he's king and savior of the world. 
We see Jesus confessing that he's going to live, die, and rise from the dead so that we might be saved and have right relationship with God and that our sins will be forgiven and forgotten and so on and so on. These are Jesus's confessions. These are the things that he confessed he would do. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he did them. And so I think a, a better way of reading this and the way I read it is that the confession we're holding fast to is not our own. Because if we're honest, our confession is unstable at times. But Jesus' confession is sure and unchanging. Or as verse 23 says, for he who promised is faithful. So yes, we should try as best as we can to hold fast our confession in Jesus, but we should also, also trust and hold fast his confession about who he says he is and what he will do. Because he's the one who promises it and who's faithful. So hold fast the confession is number two. The third actionable item is found in verses 24 and 25. It says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The third thing to consider, or third actionable item is to consider one another. Consider one another. Listen, our confidence in Jesus, your confidence in Jesus is not yours alone, but it is a shared confidence among everyone who confesses Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when I think of drawing near to God, the first thing we talked about, and holding fast the confession, the second thing, a great place where those two things happen together are within the body of Christ, the gathering of believers. I mean, part of the reason we gather together on Sunday mornings is to what? Draw near to God and to confess the greatness of our King Jesus, right? Because it's one thing for one person on their own to draw near to God and hold fast the confession, but it's another when a bunch of people do that together. Right? There's strength and power and confidence in numbers. Right? Also, our confidence should be in Jesus alone, but confidence is reassured and reinforced when you are with other people who are confident in the exact same thing. Um, last August, uh, I went on a minister's off-roading trip to Colorado um, with other pastors and ministers from Arizona. Drew and Miguel, they went with me, um, and it was a great time. And one of the off-roading trails took us to this beautiful natural pond up in the mountains. Like we're talking way up in the mountains. And the pond is fed by all of this snow melt, right? Um, and the water is this really cool blue-green color. I've never seen anything natural like that before. Um, but it's also really cold. It's really cold. Um, well, before we got there, uh, a bunch of guys were saying that they were going to jump into this pool. Uh, now remember, it's August, um, but we're in Colorado, not Arizona. All right, way up in the mountains, um, and it's a pond made from snow melt, and so it's really cold. And some of these other pastors were like, hey, are you going to jump in this pool? And I was like, heck to the no, I am not. I am not a fan of the cold in general, and I am specifically not a fan of cold water on my body. 
So I confidently decided I was not going to jump into the freezing cold water. But something happens when you get a bunch of guys together who want to do crazy things. And their confidence to do the crazy things can be infectious. And the next thing I knew, I was standing on the bank of this snowmelt pond in just my underwear with a bunch of other ministers of the gospel in their underwear. And the next, next thing that I knew, after someone counted to three, I was submerged in this freezing cold water because I had confidently jumped off the bank of the pond and into said cold water. We have a video of it that maybe I was going to share, but I was like, you don't want to see a bunch of dudes in their underwear jumping in water. Okay, but listen, the point is, you get it, confidence can be infectious. Confidence can be infectious. And it is reassured and reinforced, listen, when you are with others who are confident in the same thing. And when you have other believers who are drawing near to God and confessing Jesus as king together with you, that stirs up something in you. You felt it during worship this morning, didn't you? Right? And when you have other believers, right, it stirs something up in you. Your confidence is strengthened. You're stirred up to love and good works, as it says in the scripture. And that confidence boost, that encouragement happens best when you gather together with other followers of Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, consider one another. Don't go at it alone like some have. And he says, do this gathering and encouraging all the more as the day, the capital D day, draws near. What does he mean by that? Well, what we read in Scripture is that the closer we get to the day that Jesus comes back, his second advent to finally and fully establish his kingdom on earth, the harder it's going to get to be followers of Jesus. If you thought it was hard now, just wait. And do you think it's going to require a lot of confidence and encouragement to keep drawing near to God and holding fast the confession during those difficult times? Absolutely. And that confidence boost and encouragement, listen, it doesn't happen away from the gathering of believers. It happens from within the gathering of believers. We need the body of Christ especially, especially as we commit to reconstructing and strengthening our faith in 2022. And so church family, let's consider one another. Let's not neglect the gathering of believers, meeting together as the family of God, living life together, stirring up and encouraging one another. We need the body of Christ. But not everyone will think so, and some will turn away. Um, the author is clear that it has become a habit for some to neglect meeting together with the body of Christ, and this was even leading some of them to reject Jesus altogether. And during the author's time, many Jewish Christians stopped gathering with others in order to avoid uh, attention and to avoid the conflict and to avoid the persecution. But as we talked about earlier, 
Some were even going back to, to practicing strict Levitical Judaism, denying Christ altogether. Even though they had experienced the saving work of Jesus, even though they had experienced the power and the confidence of gathering together with the body of Christ, they still turned away. In verses 26 through 31, in a strong warning, the fourth warning in Hebrews, it addresses what will happen to those who do turn away and willfully continue in their sin of denying Jesus. We're not going to read it today. You can go back and read it on your own. Um, but the passage is very clear. It says that they will face judgment. It says they will face punishment. They'll face vengeance from God, possibly even death. Now, we've talked previously about the ongoing debate in the church of can we lose our salvation or are we once saved, always saved, and those who do walk away were never truly saved to begin with. Okay, I don't want to rehash that entire message all over again. You can go back and listen to it on our website. But what is clear from these verses, verses 26 through 31, is that there will be consequences for willfully turning away from and denying Jesus. But I want to bring this back to the topic of confidence because it's still relevant in these verses. Because the question that I have for those who decide to turn away from Jesus is, where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? And we can tell that their confidence is not in who Jesus is and all that he's done for them. Because the principle of life is that you follow your confidence. And if their confidence was in Jesus, they'd still be following him. They'd still be gathering with other believers, no matter the potential persecution. And what we have to take from this warning in this passage is the exact same question. What you need to evaluate and think about is, where is your confidence? You are following your confidence. We all follow our confidence. But is your confidence Jesus? Right? Or, or is your confidence somewhere else? Are you following something or someone else? And what we have to look at as we evaluate this and as we continue to walk with Jesus is that the less confidence we have um, or, or as our confidence in Jesus weakens or fades, the less we're going to follow him. The less we'll want what he wants for us. The less we'll pursue his ways. The less we'll want to gather with his body. The less we'll be stirred up and encouraged to love and good works. Church family, you follow your confidence. And so where is your confidence? More importantly, where is it taking you? Where is your confidence and where is it taking you? Okay, but listen. You are here. You are gathering with the body of Christ. You are drawing near to God and holding fast the confession that Jesus is king. And so I'm assuming by your presence 
that your confidence is still in Jesus, or at least you want your confidence to be in Jesus, right? You want to strengthen your confidence in Jesus. And in the remaining verses of chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, that's essentially what the author of Hebrews encourages his readers with. He says, you're not those who have turned away from the church and from Jesus. You're here, and that means something. That means something. Especially because his readers, they had experienced persecution. Things that none of us have ever experienced before. They were publicly ridiculed and even had their belongings stolen from them simply because they believe in Jesus. Some of their brothers and sisters in Christ were even in prison. And yet, in the face of this persecution, this opposition from the world that we talked about, they still had their confidence in Jesus. They continued to draw near to God, hold fast the confession, and consider one another. And so in verses 32 through 39, the author gives them and gives us five motivations to keep going. Five motivations to not stop gathering, to to, to keep drawing near to God, to to keep... um, holding fast the confession. And so I want to share those five motivations with you. They're going to be really quick, okay? And we'll wrap this chapter 10 up, all right? But the first motivation is to remember the former days. Remember the former days. Verse 32 says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. Church family, do you remember when you first became a follower of Jesus? For some, maybe it was a really difficult decision, but I think for all, it was an exciting time. Do you remember the passion you had for Jesus when you first started following him? And sometimes simply remembering that, recalling the former days and wanting that again can be a motivation to keep going. Remember your former days. Second motivation is to remember what you've endured. Verse 32, it continues. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And so what this says is that they had experienced some really difficult trials and persecutions, but they endured, past tense. They did not perish. They did not fall away. God was still with them. And sometimes when we experience struggle or persecution in this world, it helps to remember how God led us through hardship before, and if he did it once, he can still do it again. The third motivation is to remember who is with you. Remember who is with you. Verse 33, it continues. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. Yes, Jesus is always with you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't allow you to walk alone. But there are also other people who are with you in the struggle. You're not crazy for what you believe. There are other people who believe in the same thing. right? You're not the only one trying to hold fast the confession And so we should draw on the strength of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should allow our own confidence in Jesus to be infectious and reassuring to those around us, right? So remember who is with you. The fourth motivation is remember your reward. Verse 34 continues, For you had compassion on those in prison, 
and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Though the world and the enemy might take away your possessions, your dignity, your independence, your rights, your freedom, they can't take away the gospel. They can't take away the fact that your sins have already been forgiven, forgotten, and put away. They can't take away your eternal life. They can't take away your hope in Jesus returning to restore his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. They can't take those things away because they are better possessions and they abide. They are forever. Remember your reward. And the fifth motivation... The author brings everything full circle. He says, do not throw away, or the way I'll say it is, remember your confidence. Verse 35, it says, therefore, do not throw away your what? Confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive that what is promised. Remember your confidence. Remember who Jesus is, the promises he's made for you, all that he's done for you, the glorious good that he has waiting for you in heaven, right? He is faithful to fulfill all that he says. Remember your confidence. And so then he finishes the chapter with just one final push, a final boost of confidence. Let's wrap this up. He says in verse 37, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back. If you've forgotten, Jesus is coming back. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, listen. But we are not of those who shrink back. You are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It is 2022, and you're still here, and that means something, church family. You're still in it. Your confidence is still in Jesus, or at least you want it to be. You've not shrunk back. You've not walked away. We're still here, and that means something, church family. And so... Let's keep going. We've been given the confidence to keep going. We've been given the motivation to keep going. Let's do it together, church family. Amen? So where is your confidence this morning? And where is your confidence taking you? And I truly pray that you've been encouraged today to hold on to your confidence in Jesus to keep drawing near to him, to hold fast the confession that he is king. And I pray that as you continue to follow him, that your confidence, as you remember to follow him, that he is your confidence, but you'll also remember your former days. Remember what you've endured. Remember who's with you. Remember your reward. And remember your confidence. And may those motivate you to keep going and keep reconstructing and strengthening your faith 
in Jesus in 2022. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.